Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. What's up, everybody? Great to see you all this weekend. Welcome to Lake Point. Hey, my name, my name is Mike, in case we never met before, and, and I get the privilege of being on the teaching team around this amazing place. And man, we're, we are one church in a bunch of different locations, and it's so cool to see what God is doing in all of our campuses. So many cool life change stories from around the Dallas-Fort Worth area in Mexico. Uh, man, just uh, so, so cool to see what God is doing. And I'm Super grateful also for our online community. Thank you for joining us as well. We love you all. And uh, I just love the fact we all get to do this uh, together. Well, Pastor Josh last week kicked off a series uh, where he introduced us to the greatest, the kindest, the most compassionate, most courageous, most humble, most countercultural, most inclusive, most truthful, most loving, and most controversial figure in all of history. And I don't know how you stand with Jesus. Maybe you're curious about him, or maybe you got some questions, or maybe you're a little cautious about it all, or, or maybe you're like all in with him. I just want to say wherever you are, uh, God is glad that we're doing this together. I've been praying this series uh, will help us all get to know him better. One of the guys in the band this morning uh, taught me a Spanish phrase, uh, which is listo para Cristo. How'd I do? Uh, which means you're ready for Jesus? Well, I definitely am. And I'm here to talk about him today. And I'm here to tell you today that Jesus Christ has invited all of us to a party. All throughout the Bible, it talks about how the kingdom of heaven is a party, a feast, a wedding banquet, a blowout celebration with music and dancing and food. It is over the top and it never, ever ends. And the cool thing is everyone is invited. Now, I don't, I don't want you to get the wrong idea here. Following Jesus is not always easy. It's not a life of constant rainbows and puppies and golden Oreos. It is a lifestyle of self-denial and humility and servanthood and generosity, even sacrifice. Plus, like Josh said last weekend, Jesus told us not to be surprised when things get hard. In fact, he said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome this world. In the midst of this tough world, I have invited you into this life that supersedes any temporary hardships. It's a life of purpose and adventure and indescribable peace and incredible joy and and amazing grace. I have laid down my life so that you could walk with God and live forever. The kingdom of heaven is a party and you are invited. Now, Jesus was an incredible storyteller, and uh, he would use like object lessons, he would use humor, he would use uh, relevant, uh, you know, news stories, uh, historical events, 
He would use allegory and metaphor and examples from everyday life. I mean, he was a master storyteller, and we all relate to stories, right? I mean, sometimes I will take a story out of an old message I did and put it into a brand new one, and then I'll preach that message, and someone will say, I've heard you preach that sermon before. I said, well, I've never preached this sermon. Oh, oh, you remembered the story. Jesus knew the power of story, and he told a bunch of them. But the one we're going to unpack today is probably his most famous story. Uh, Charles Dickens even says the greatest short story ever written, and I would agree with him. It's a story about two lost boys. It's a story about fences. One boy hated them. The other one built them. And it's a story about a dad who stands by the gate longing for all of his kids to come home. And I want to to read the story to you from Luke chapter 15. If you have a Bible, you can turn there if you've got an app you use, or we'll put it on a screen as well and track along together. But I'm going to read the whole thing with just a little commentary along the way, and then we're going to go back and break it down just a little bit. Here's the story that Jesus tells. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, in Jewish culture, this was a real slap in the face. Sometimes the dad would divide his estate early because he wanted to slow down a little bit, didn't want to manage the the farm any, any longer. But for the kids to initiate this request, it was like saying, Hey, old man, would you hurry up and die? So the dad divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set out to a distant country and there squandered. Isn't that a great word? It sounds exactly what you do, right? Squander. Anybody ever squandered any money, any time, any opportunities? He squandered his wealth in wild living. Hang on to that little phrase. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And not knowing that Dave Ramsey says to always have an emergency fund, he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. Now, this was disgraceful, disgraceful for a Jewish kid because of the whole kosher thing. And to take it to a whole other level, this kid became envious of the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Then Jesus says this in the story. When he came to his senses... When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father with his memorized speech in hand. And I love this. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. I mean, that blew me away this week when I reread this story. While he was still a long way off, the father saw him. He was looking, waiting, hoping, longing, and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. Now, unless you are still a fine-tuned athlete, old man running is not, is not pretty. It's just not. Dad running is not pretty. Plus, to run in that culture was seen as a sign of humiliation. You had to throw off all pride, all protocol to run towards somebody. But he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The word for kiss here means to kiss profusely, like many kisses, all over his pig slop-covered face. Can you imagine hugging this kid, what that kid must have smelled like? And the son said to him, 
Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he doesn't even get to finish his speech. And the father starts calling the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him, given only to a person of the highest honor. Put a ring on his finger, which was a sign of sonship. Put sandals on his feet, which was a sign of freedom. Bring the fattened calf and kill it, reserved only for special occasions. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Let's party for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. This dad throws a blowout party over this lost kid being found. And then the story shifts. See the little word? Meanwhile. It's like like a music soundtrack changes all of a sudden. Anybody seen the Super Mario Brothers movie yet? Anybody ever play old school Mario on Nintendo? You know how it starts out, you're in level one. And all of a sudden you go, that's what happens here. It's stupid, I know, but that's the way I see it. Meanwhile, the music shifts. The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Well, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back, safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out. Again, the father goes out to another lost son and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, by the way, starting a conversation with look is never a good good thing. He says, look. After all these years, I have been slaving for you. Didn't realize he had actual freedom. He saw it as all slavery. And and I I never, I never disobeyed your orders. Never use the word never. You're you're never right. You, You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours refuses to call him my brother... This son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes. Now, how does he know that? They weren't texting back and forth. He wasn't following his Instagram feed. He's just making stuff up. He's throwing accusations around to make it seem more dramatic. This son of yours who demanded of you, disrespected you, dishonored you, and brought disgrace on this whole family. He comes home and you kill the fattened calf. And that was my 4-H project. (laughs) Father says, my son... You're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But can't you see we had to celebrate and be glad? Because your brother of yours, this brother, he calls him this brother of yours. This brother of yours was dead. He's alive again. He was lost. And he's found. Yeah, this is a story about two sons. Two lost boys. It's a story about fences. One son couldn't stand them. Hated fences. Fences are way too restrictive. Staying within the boundaries of my father is ruining all the fun I could be having out there. In fact, there's a lot of stuff out there that I'm missing out on. I'm hopping this fence. I'm out of here. The original word used for that wild living I told you to hang on to means with no hope of safety. He squandered everything with no hope of safety. Ever been there? Makes you kind of want to ask the kid, why would anybody leave the safe healthy, loving, secure home of their father 
Why would anybody rebel against his loving boundaries? Why would you want anything else when you have everything you need? Well, let me just ask all of us. Why do we jump the fence? I think it's our unsatisfied appetites that make us jump. I think it's our selfish desires that make us jump, our lack of gratitude that makes us jump, the enemy of our soul lying to us saying, there is so much more out there. God is holding back on you. He does not want you to be happy. You need to follow your heart. You need to chase your feelings. You need to call your own shots. Take a look, man. The grass is definitely greener on the other side of the fence. But this kid and many of us have discovered the truth. The grass is always greener over the septic tank, right? I love how Jesus says in the story, this kid finally came to his senses. He said, man, this got to change. This got to change. You know, I hear some people say uh, that you have to hit like, quote unquote, rock bottom before you come home to God. To which I lovingly say, no, you don't. No, you don't. Now, in regard to having a rock bottom humility, That is true. You must have a come-to-your-senses kind of moment. There must be this humble in my father's house, this help and healing kind of change of direction. But you don't have to hit rock bottom before you come to your senses. My friends in recovery will tell you, man, it's, it's like riding an elevator. You don't have to go all the way to the basement. You can get off on the third floor. You can recognize the temptation, see it for what it is, play the long-term consequences out, be honest about your current situation, assess the damage in your life, and head for home before it gets a whole lot worse and you hurt a lot of people. And listen to me, God, with God, it is, it is never too late to do that. It's never too late to come to your senses and come home. This kid might have left his father's protection, but he did not leave his love. And he looks around at his life and comes to his senses and finally tells himself the truth. You know what? My dad loves me. My dad is good. This is bad. Home is good. This is bad. This is really, really stupid. My appetite for more led me here, and I've never been more empty in my life. The answer is in my father's house. The answer is on the other side of that fence. I've always loved the old song, Desperado. Why don't you come to your senses? You've been out riding fences for so long now. And if you would come to your senses, you would find the exact same thing this kid found. A loving dad waiting by the gate. You know how long God's been studying the horizon, just waiting for your silhouette to pop up over the hill so he can run to you? It's the only time in the Bible where it says God runs, throws his dignity aside, and just runs. And he'll embrace you and kiss you and call you son, call you daughter, and throw a party in your honor. Well, like I said, this is a story about two sons, two desperados, two lost boys. One hated fences. The other one, he built them, built them as high as possible. One was an uncontrolled rule breaker. The other one was a self-righteous rule keeper. And both were lost. In fact, the older, the older brother is really the target of this story that Jesus tells If you read the first couple of verses in Luke 15, you will see why Jesus launched into this story in the first place. Let me read it for you. Now, the tax collectors and quote-unquote sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, the religious people, the, the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. 
You know, Josh talked last weekend how Jesus was so controversial, but he was never more controversial than he was with the religious folks. And he tells the story because of them. The rule-keeping religious Pharisees were just like the self-righteous older brother who lived with a sense of superiority and a sense of entitlement. You talk about building fences. They were always adding plank after plank after plank and put like barbed wire on the top. They built the religious fence so high that people couldn't see God. And then they slapped the keep out sign on the gate. Eating with somebody in that culture was a big deal. It was a statement that you wanted to be with them. Eating with someone was an affirmation of what you thought about their worth and their dignity and their value. In fact, who you ate with indicated who you liked, who you loved and cared about, who you considered to be part of your social class. And that's why it was so outrageous to the religious leaders that Jesus frequently ate with the lowest and most despised people of his day. Jesus was swinging open the gate to their exclusive club and letting all kinds of notorious sinners in. They would say, come on, if you really were from God, there's no way you would eat with those kind of people. They had the same attitude as this older brother. You're welcoming them? Them? You've got to be kidding me. Don't you know how bad they've been? Don't you know what they've done? How could you let them in? We are the ones keeping all the rules. We're the religious ones. We've been, we've been building fences for you. We are the ones who have never, we have never messed up. We've worked so hard to make you proud, and now you're pulling this? And they refuse to join the party. See, it's a story about fences and two lost boys and a father who stands by the gate and swings it open. A father who says, I want all my kids to grasp how wide, how high, how long, how deep my love is for them. And gang, I don't know where you find yourself in this story. I don't know which one of these two boys you're most like. You might be like one of those younger son kind of guys who just struggles with fences. You always have. Never really liked restrictions, didn't like rules. Want to hop the loving boundaries of God and just see what's out there that you might be missing out on. And perhaps you've let your feelings or your appetites, some impulsiveness, maybe some instant gratification lead your life. And maybe that has led to some pain, some really bad decisions, some kind of addiction, some kind of stronghold. And now you're like that younger kid. You find yourself miserable. If so, you need to know the Father is longing for you to come to your senses, turn toward home, walk through the gate and find real love. He cannot wait to throw a party for you. Or maybe, just maybe, you become a little bit like the older brother. I did. Easy to do. You become a person who likes to build fences. There's a sense of justice, a sense of superiority, a sense of I'm right and everybody else is wrong. Can't stand those disgusting younger brother types. Maybe you got a little judgmental spirit going on, a little spirit of entitlement. Look how good I am. Look how hard I've worked. You, you owe me, God. And then the way you see people, you can't see them like the Father sees them. And I just tell you, from personal experience, that's a dangerous heart condition. And honestly, that's starting to describe your heart a little bit. You also need to repent and turn toward God and come to the party. Because God invites everybody to the party. God wants all of us to be home. He invites all of us into this new life of grace and freedom and purpose and unfailing love. So desperado, why don't you come to your senses? Come on down from your fences. Throw open the gate. 
It may be raining, but there's a Father above you. You got to let somebody love you before it's too late. We have a huge weekend uh, planned across all of our campuses next weekend. You talk about a party. It is going to be so fun. And like I said, everyone's invited. So I just want to quickly work through how you respond to God's gracious invitation. De- Debbie and I got a wedding invitation in the mail not, not long ago. And it had one of those little embossed cards in the middle, in, in the middle of the invitation that you send back. And, and on the, the, the letters on the card were what? RSVP, right? Which, is, of course, is French for we're coming. Uh, but uh, I, I want to I take those letters. And I just want to quickly teach out how you and I can respond to this invitation of a new life that God has extended to us. The R stands for realize your need. That's where you start. Realize your need. We, we talk a lot in Regen and around Lake Point in general uh, about wanting to get well. We, we, we talk about the power of honesty and just drop on the denial and all the image management that keeps you from acknowledging that you got a problem. Well, let me show you a drop the denial verse, Romans 3, 23. For everyone is sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. That's the honest truth about us. We all fall short. In the original Greek of the New Testament, the the word used for sin was actually an archery term. It meant to miss the mark. So if God's perfect standard is the bullseye, how many times have I missed it? Millions. You might have just missed it a few dozen times. Me, millions. Sometimes it was like way out here. Other times it 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 was pretty close to the target, but I still missed the mark. I still missed it. According to God's holy and flawless standards, no human being in his or her own strength has ever perfectly hit the mark. Billy Graham? Nope. Mother Teresa? Nope. Josh Howerton? Not even close. Dude makes fun of bald people. I had to get him back for last week, the cue ball joke he told last week. Not even the guy who wrote Romans 3, Paul. In fact, he called himself the chief of all sinners. Gang, we all have a sin problem. We all miss the mark. None of us have lived a perfect life. And responding to God's invitation begins and ends with humility, where you say, you know what? That verse is true about me. I got a problem. It's a sin problem. I know I fall short. I know I need help. So I'm just humbly coming to you. Now, I want you to see the verse right before that one, Romans 3.22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, what we've said, what we've thought, it's for all of us. No matter how badly we have missed the bullseye, that's why they call it the good news. And the good news for all of us begins when we humbly realize we need God in our lives. So the R is realize your need. The S stands for say you're sorry. Just like that prodigal kid in the story, you change direction and you start for home saying, Father, I've sinned. I have blown it. I've made a mess of things and I'm so sorry. I just want to come home. He had a change of mind and heart that led to a change of direction. It's it's when you come to God and say, God, I realize I got a sin problem. I realize I need a savior and I want you to know I'm so sorry for the way I have lived for years like you don't even exist. And I'm tired of playing God. And I'm tired of everything in my life revolving around me. I just want all of that to change. The Bible calls this repentance. 
It's a word you don't hear too often today, but repent is a pivotal word, literally. It means to do a U-turn, to change direction, to do a 180. A little over a month after Jesus was crucified, one of his best friends, a guy named Peter, stands up in the streets of Jerusalem and preaches this message. And he tells the very same crowds that had just cried, crucify him, crucify him. He tells them all about the good news of God's love through Jesus Christ. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 2. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah, Savior. Peter's word pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And guess what happened? Over 3,000 people responded and were baptized. When Peter said, you got to make a U-turn, you got to turn away from your old life and start walking toward God. And I've learned that as long as you're walking toward, you're walking from. It's a change of mind that results in a change of direction where you say, I'm doing a 180. I'm walking away from my old lifestyle. And God, I'm just walking toward you. And I know I won't be perfect. That's why I'm asking you for your forgiveness. And I'm asking you for your help. So R is realize your need. S is say you're sorry. V stands for verbalize your trust. Verbalize your trust. R Romans 10, verse 9 and 10 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God and it is by confessing with your mouth that you're saved. Jesus said one time, if you acknowledge me before people, I will acknowledge you before my Father. And this acknowledgement is not about reciting some, you know, magical formula, some religious sounding thing. It's the place your heart gets to. It's when you're humble enough to go public with your belief in Christ. You're not afraid to let anybody know that you're a person who has realized the truth about who you are, that you need a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. And that you're walking toward him, saying in your heart and verbalizing with your mouth, I need him to do for me what I cannot do for myself. I'm going to put my trust in what he did for me on a cross. And I'm going to trust him to lead my life. I trust him with my eternity. Today, I'm putting my life in his hands. So you realize your needs, say you're sorry, verbalize your trust. And the P stands for plunge your past. I had to make it work. Talking about baptism. Now, that happens here every week. We get to celebrate that at this church every weekend. And it's going to happen, I'm telling you, big time next week. And I've been praying that many of you, as an act of surrender, will just go down in the water next week, saying to God, I am ready to go public with my faith. I just want to bury my old life. And I want to rise up and walk a brand new one with your help. I got a really good friend who had, a, let's just call it an extremely colorful past. He was telling, and we, we met together for a long time, and he told me one day, he said, man, I, I, I'm ready to be baptized. And I was so excited. And he said, well, how do I, how do, I do that? I said, well, dude, man, you know, with your, with your past, you're, you're probably going to have to come and soak overnight. <laughs> he went, really? I went, no, I'm just playing, man. I'm not, of course, I'm kidding. Man, we just come, we just bring all of our junk, whatever it is, and we just plunge our past. Romans 6, 4 says this, For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new life. See the picture there? How we identify in baptism with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. I had the privilege of uh, 
do a little Bible study with a bunch of guys who are brand new to the Bible. That during the pandemic, we met on my, my back patio. And we went through the book of Acts. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Acts or not, but it's all about the history of the beginning of the early church. It is fascinating. It is so fun to read. And as we're going through it, one of the guys pointed out, he said, you know what? Every time somebody comes to believe in Jesus, they were baptized. Like 3,000 after Peter's talk and that a really bad guy named Saul, after he sees the light, this Ethiopian dude in the middle of nowhere, a group of ladies by a riverbank, a Roman military officer, a, a prison guard, every time the person comes to faith, they were baptized. And we get several questions whenever we talk about baptism, uh, like question of, why, why, why do y'all dunk people? Why do you dunk people underwater? Now, to be sure, it is not about the amount of water. It's about your heart. But the word that's used in the Bible, baptizo, means to dunk, immerse, or plunge under. So there's the obvious picture, again, of death, burial, resurrection. And lots of times it says in the Bible, they went down into the water. So that's as close to the New Testament pattern of doing it. So we choose just to do it that way. Other questions are like, well, how long I got to wait before I'm baptized? Believe in Jesus, surrender your heart, and take the plunge. It's all a part of the initial response of faith. Again, in the New Testament, when people came to faith, they were baptized immediately as an act of belief and surrender. You don't have to wait months or years because you're still trying to get your act together. When you accept Christ, you're saying, I can't get my act together on my own. It's not about growing to the point where someday, someday, I'll be good enough to finally be baptized. You'll never get there. Being baptized is a beginning point of faith, a beginning point of surrender where you say, God, I need you. I'm putting my past, I'm putting my present, putting my future in your hands. I think that when you understand that you need to be baptized, you just go ahead and do it. Whether you accepted Christ 10 years ago, 10 months ago, 10 weeks ago, or 10 minutes ago, it's part of the response of faith. It's part of accepting God's gracious invitation. It's saying, God, I'm coming home. I'm walking through the gate. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ and plunge my past and let him just take my life from there. Now, again, baptism does not save you. There's nothing magical about the water. It's just plain old Texas H2O. But there is something very magical about the grace of God when we surrender to him. And baptism just marks that surrender. A lot of people ask, well, I was, uh, I was baptized as a baby. Do I need to do that again? Because I'm feeling like I want to do this for me. I had no choice. So I, I want this to be my decision, but I don't want to disrespect what my parents did. See, often parents want their children baptized primarily as a sign of dedication and commitment to the Lord. And if your parents did that, I think their motivation was in the right direction, and you ought to be so thankful for their commitment to your spiritual foundation. And I think you also ought to express that to them with gratitude. But baptism in the Bible was always after someone put their personal faith in Christ. They personally believed, and then they were baptized. So when you reach the decision that you now believe in Jesus and you want to follow him, now it's time for you to be baptized based upon your own personal faith. And we do baptism around here all the time, private pools, hot tubs, lakes, and during services like this one and next week, I'm telling you, it's going to be an absolute party. And you're invited. In fact, Jesus Christ invites all of us into a brand new life. So what do you say? Ready to RSVP? Walk through the gate. Standing up here 
thinking about how Jesus said, I am the gate. Jesus Christ has opened the pathway to a relationship with the Father again. And he invites you to walk through the gate and find love. I'm just going to ask you just to bow your heads just for a few moments. You know, I just want to say next week is going to be incredible, but you don't have to wait till next week to come home. You can do that right here, right now. You can just come home in your heart. Some of you did that on Easter, and you're ready to be baptized next week. But like right now, you can have a real relationship with the living God. You can know him. We are his kids if we will walk through the gate, Jesus Christ if we will embrace his grace and accept what he has done for us on a cross. And I'm telling you, if you will humbly respond to his invitation, if you will RSVP, God will not only forgive your sin, he'll give you a brand new life. He will move inside of you to give you the power to make it this new direction. All you need to do is walk toward him and come home. Maybe just in your own words, you can just pray, Father, I've sinned against you. I'm sorry for the way it's hurt you, other people, the way it's screwed up my life. I thank you for what Jesus did on the cross for me. Take all that away. And I just accept what he's done. And I want him to be the forgiver of my sin and the leader of my life from here on out. Just any humble, honest prayer like that. And God really has been longing for a long time to see you pop up over the hill and welcome you home. Father, I thank you for your amazing grace. God, you know me. I've been on both sides of that fence. And I'm so grateful for the way you opened the gate through Jesus Christ and let me come home. Forgive us for the times when we don't extend the same kind of grace to other people. We get a little bit of that older brother mentality. God, we repent of that too, and we come home. We just want to live and thrive in your love. So grateful for it. And Jesus, I just want to thank you for telling this story. You, you're an amazing storyteller, but this one, it never gets old. And I thank you so much for this amazing story that lets us know the heart of the Father. And I pray that right now in this moment and next week when we celebrate baptism, many, many people will walk through the gate and come home. And I pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church slash digital.